Welcome to the Championship Club podcast. I'm your host, Michael Casey, and co-hosting with me is a man with over 300 Championship Rugby appearances. It's Ben Gulliver. Be sure to check us out on social media at Champ Clubs Pod on Instagram and Twitter, and head to YouTube to like and subscribe to the channel. Before we kick off today's episode, I'd like to say a big thank you to our brand new and shiny sponsor, Trojan Engineering Fabrication, part of the MFH Group, and you can check them out at mfhire.co.uk. Welcome to the Championship Clubs podcast. We are back again following uh, a weekend of no fixtures, so a rest week for the Championship, but back in action this Friday. Uh, Gully, uh, have you enjoyed the week off? Have you found yourself, you know, desperately uh, desperately out of sorts this weekend with no Championship rugby to enjoy? <laughs> Mate, I've managed to get to the hairdresser actually and have a haircut, and I think they've done a quite a good job considering where my barnet's at at the moment. So, Quite happy with the with the haircut. Um, I'd see that <laughs> it was a bit controversial, but I saw the uh, obviously there was the social media blackout, wasn't there, the other weekend? And that, that obviously uh, has gone really well because I went back on Twitter today and it's rife again. So I'm not sure how much use that's done, but I can sort of see it from from everyone's you know why it was done, and hopefully it's, it's a good cause for change. But yeah, uh, Twitter's sort of alive again with with rugby news and, and things that are going on in and around sort of champ rugby and also sort of prem rugby. So it seems like there's a bit of a more focus on the game again, which is what I've been getting myself into a little bit this week and seeing what's going on around the league um, with, with the fixtures back in, back on this weekend. There's some quite interesting fixtures coming up. And of course, obviously one of the, the biggest talking points in, in, in rugby has been the line selection. I know that we, we kind of touched on our uh, our championship Lions team last week prior to the announcements. Uh, any thoughts on the um, on the selection? Of course, five current championship players will be going to South Africa on tour. Yeah, uh, the one the one that sticks out for me is Ali Price. Obviously, I've I, I know Pricey from from his time at Bedford, and it's not very often you get to see someone go from their very sort of embryo of their career all the way through, and it's it's amazing to see uh, how how well he's done. Re- really pleased with Price. He's he's such a good lad and. You know, fair play to him, and the selection I think is a pretty fair reflection on, on form within the league. I'm really looking forward to it, and it's. You know, I was really positive about sort of something we touch on. It's like rugby doesn't get sort of mainstream media that often, and when the Lions comes around every four years, it's it generates a real excitement. And with obviously with everything that's been going on this past year, it's it's great and something to look for everyone to look forward to. So really excited about watching that, um, and obviously really pleased for, for some of the guys that we know within within the squad. It's it's, it's great for them. Uh, action, I, I agree, and I think Ali Price has got to be in a shot with, with with playing in the test. Some of his form this year for Glasgow and Scotland has been scintillating. But uh, back to back to the action in the champ. We've uh, got five games this weekend. Kicks off with Bedford welcoming Ealing to Goldington Road on Saturday. Jersey Reds welcome Coventry. Richmond have got Nottingham. It's Pirates versus Hartbury at the Manai, and then on Monday in front of fans. Saracens welcome Amptill. Um, what are your highlights? What are your picks from uh, this weekend's fixtures? Well, this weekend and Monday's fixtures, Gully. I'm gonna just, I'm just gonna rattle it out and I'm just gonna call them. I think just because yeah. <laughs> I was gonna go. So Bedford Ealing, obviously, I, I think Ealing. I think Bedford will go all right for appearing in the game. Um, but you got, I think, fancy Ealing for a five-point win there. Uh, then on Saturday, um, a, the one that sticks out is the Richmond-Nottingham game. Um, two guys that have been battling, two teams that have been battling a little bit this season. So it'd be interesting to see which way that one goes. I quite fancy Richmond to turn them over. Jersey, as we've said, their season started. Um, everyone's dropping in on the day, uh, as Jersey were doing on the away games and, come, and losing at the start of the year. Now everyone's having to go in on the same day and do the same over there. And I think it'd be a tough ask for Cov. Fancy Pirates against Hartbury. And then you've got Amtel Saris on Monday, where 
Saris, obviously, we know all about Saris. And I think we mentioned on a previous part that we weren't even sure if Hampton would be in the league this year. And after a successful crowdfunder, they're now in it. So great for them. Great that supporters are back in. But I do fear for Hampton a little bit. But, you know, they've proven a few people wrong over the years and, and they beat Pirates a few weeks ago. So who knows? If they can pick up a bonus point try uh, there, I think that'd be a great success for Hampton. So, yeah, exciting weekend of, of sport. And obviously, coming out of lockdown Monday is going to be great. And, Obviously delighted to welcome this week's guest, which I know you're going to uh, you know introduce properly because I've just ruined that. <laughs> <laughs> now I was wondering how I was going to go on to it, but as you say, we uh, thankfully it isn't just you and I, otherwise our listenership would drop off a cliff. And I'm delighted to say that we are welcoming onto the show Ben Mercer, formerly of Plymouth Albion and Cornish Pirates, and then went on to France to play for Ruin Normandy and has subsequently, since retiring from the game, gone on to become an Amazon bestseller with his book, Fringes, Life on the Edge of Professional Rugby. Ben, it's uh, uh, a pleasure to have you on the Championship Clubs podcast. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Hey, Ben, how you doing, mate? Uh, just, we just spoke just off before the show. It's like, your beard's looking good, mate. You look like a different <laughs> man. <laughs> I feel like a different man, you know? It's like, I, I like to pretend it's for a sort of proper rebrand, but it's just a lockdown yeah. thing. Just, it's the yeah. first time in my life I've been able to grow an acceptable beard. So it's like, yeah. I'll just see how far it goes. Lucky shot, mate. So whereabouts, whereabouts in the world are you based now, mate? Are you, are you still West Country or are you... Yeah, uh... yeah, just outside Bath at the minute. But yeah, um, obviously been locked down like everybody else. Not been much... Yeah. Fun, but you know what can you do yeah we're um we often sort of talk about sort of experiences within the league um just thought if you could you touch on sort of some of the some of the challenges you face when you, you your time at, at championship clubs i know i know you faced a few um sort of during uh, we've crossed paths a few times over the years and, and some of the, the positive experiences that you you had within the league and just if you could share a few a few of them with us it'd be great yeah i mean so i was in the academy at bath and then i went off to newcastle university to do a degree so i got involved with the academy set up there and played similar stuff so i played a league rugby for the most part and got loaned out to bladen who were in national one at the time we had a great backline we had loads of good players um i mean we had we had good guys in the forwards too we had like uh, scott riddell in the back row he went on to play for scotland will welsh he was down on loan with us and he's now obviously pretty senior at Newcastle. Um, then we had Mickey Young, Rory Clegg, you know, guys like that. Andrew Fenby on the wing was really amazing. And he went on to have a really good career, kind of Scarlets and Irish and stuff. So, but my, my intention was always to kind of use that as like a springboard into a championship deal or, you know, um, whatever I could get really. And I, 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 was, <laughs> and I, was, I was really, I was really excited. I was really excited to sign for Plymouth Albion. It was my first time, you know, having been in and around full-time rugby environments since I was at school, you know, it was my first time to be like, right, you know, I've got no studying. Um, yeah. This is it. I can commit to it. And yeah, I was, I was pumped to get down to Plymouth and it was, yeah. it was a bit of a shock considering the sort of, <laughs> difference in um facilities who was coaching, who was coaching? oh <laughs> i know the answer I mean, but I, I want you to we, say we could do we could do a whole podcast on this but yeah uh, graham door was director of rugby and um yeah. it's actually a fond memory of mine as well I, I i got an agent so this agent found me a deal at plymouth and I, I was up, I was up at uni. I flew down to Bristol, and then right. my agent picked me up, drove me down to Tiverton Services, where I met Graham for the first time. Yeah, and yeah, <laughs> and then he sort of quizzed me on a variety of gameplay scenarios and what I do. Yeah, and he and he seemed to find those answers satisfactory because he sent me a contract after that. So yeah, I met right. him. Okay. 
just off the motorway. Right, I've got a similar one. <laughs> I think that's how he did all his business, was in the services. I I met him with, um, with Jimmy Jimmy Moore that used to play uh, <laughs> winger for um, for Cov. We both went down in the same car. Agent you know, met him at Exeter services. Oh, you went a bit further, got, right? We went a bit further. We were in Coventry, so not as far as it is. <laughs> and all I got told to my agents is make sure you look him in the eye when you shake his hand. That's all you need to do. So I went there and just like right around, shooting his hand there, shook his hand, didn't speak to me again. Jimmy Moore got absolutely peppered. Like like you say, like as a back scenario. So like, what do you do in this situation when you're three points down, you have a penalty with five minutes to go? I'm like, bless him, and like Jimmy came out of it. <laughs> broken man. I got a contract and Jimmy moved, ended up moving down to Pirates. It was bizarre, but uh, like you say, you can do a a whole podcast on doors at these different level, but good good memories. It's a good setup, mind, wasn't it? But back back then, sort of was full time rugby, like you said. Yeah, I was I was really excited. We had loads of like we had loads of good players, um, and yeah. and that first year I was at Plymouth, we did pretty well. So we ended up it was the setup was different, but we got into the top eight, which meant we we're in the playoffs. And once we're in that, then um, you know everyone was everyone was loving it. So Graham was really happy, you know, completely eased off in training, which wasn't like him. So the last sort of six seven weeks or so of the season. Where we, you know, we played all the better teams. So we had Bristol in our group, and that year was yeah. actually the year Bristol lost to Exeter um, in the oh, final, yeah. and Exeter got promoted. But it meant the last few weeks of the season were kind of uh, pretty relaxed for us, and we spent the time sort of, you know, going to pub quizzes and having a great time around Plymouth, <laughs> and then playing the more exciting teams to play against in the league. So yeah, it was all good. So did you go from like a uni contract straight in? Did you have a contract when you were at Newcastle, and like sort of, or was it was that your first time, first full time? Yeah, Ply- Plymouth was my first like proper deal. So uh, at Falcons, like you know, they had some guys on yeah a proper contract, but because there was yeah. all these, there were three universities in their catchment area, and they had Tyndale, Bladen, and Darlington, Moden Park, so they could just yeah. have a lot of young lads. Uh, you, they knew if you were at uni there that you know you were sort of there for three, however many years, three, four, five years, and um, there was a big pool of players they could dip into. So it was, it was good. Like the local kind of club rugby was a good level all being national one and you're getting paid by them to play on the weekend really. So Falcons could kind of pick off anyone who did well, you know, at the end of their degree. And if not, they'd, you know, you'd come in for training, but you never quite knew what you were doing. So sometimes there'd be six of you and you'd be doing circuits in the gym with um, Mark Wilkinson, uh, Johnny's older brother, who was the conditioner, or um, mm. or you'd be in a full first team session with, you know, Matt Burke and people who are really good. <laughs> so <you> try, <laughs> try and not look like an idiot for, you know, an hour and a half. Yeah. So how did the first experiences moving to Plymouth compare to what you've been used to up in the environment at Kingston Park? Um, sessions were a lot longer, I'd say. Um, I went into a club, Blatt's. There's, there's five of us in this house. So it was probably, uh, well, it was definitely too small for us. We didn't have anywhere to also, like sit and eat at the same time. Um, but we had a good group in there. Uh, George Porter, Steve Johns, Rory Cushion. And we had Rory Watts-Jones, but he left. And we had Mark Lee as well, who was a young guy. Um, oh, good Mike Bridge College. Good yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. I, think it's, um, I think it was shit Lee. It's a bit unfair. <laughs> it's a bit unfair because actually he was straight out of school and he ended up like starting at fullback most of the year. He had a yeah. great goal kicking game away at Bedford, so it was kind of affectionate. But yeah, yeah. he was um, he was quite a character. And then you obviously you had George George Porter in there with when he had his lovely flowing locks. Uh, he's just actually made his debut for Hartbury over the last few weeks, so he's back in the league grinding. I on. did. I did see yeah. that. I, I, I've, I've actually not seen George since um, his rebrand. You know, since becoming a. <laughs> 
<laughs> a, bo- <laughs> a peanut, as we call it. But um, yeah, he was, hila- he was hilarious to live with. And he'd never seen things like sweet potatoes or um, or vegetables, really, in general. He didn't know what they were to begin with. And yeah, but then he became quite a gourmand in the end. So yeah, he's really... Um, I think he even bought a barber jacket at one point, which was <laughs> quite a departure for him. Not for someone from Matson in Gloucester. That's very, yeah. very props for him. <laughs> And obviously, then from Plymouth to uh, to Cornish Pirates, let's talk about your time down at the Manai. Overall, enjoyable. What, what, how was your uh, your time as a, as part of the Cornish Pirates setup? Uh, I didn't love it to be honest. I, I turned up in October time, and the sort of tone for the season had already been set. And I was I was really excited about going there because the previous two years, Pirates got to the final. They played great rugby. Um, you know, a lot of guys went there and went really well and kind of moved on to a better level. So I was like, oh, this is great. This is a great opportunity for me. I did have a little bit of a nagging um, hip problem when I got there, but nothing too bad. So I was immediately into training and playing and. But everyone was knackered because they'd had these two years where they played all the way through to the to the final. Uh, the director of rugby had gone, and um, and so had some of the lads. And then we had a great squad. That was the other thing. We had we had loads of good players and and great guys. So it was a really like good bunch. But we just never quite um, kind of got it together on the field. And we had some great results. You know, we beat. I think we beat Bristol pretty handsomely on Boxing Day. And, we, you know, we had some decent games, but we didn't manage to kind of get consistent at all. And we came about, I think we came fifth or sixth in the end. It was a, it was slightly disappointing. So I, I felt like we were better than we managed to put out, you know, on the pitch. But, you know, you can't do that every year, can you? Yeah. What What's interesting is, are you, you, is that the year that you had your trial at Bedford as well? When you, uh, no, you no, the, you year before, the, year, the year before. Yeah, yeah. Because you joined in October. So that's sort of, just wondering how that sort of, Oh, yeah. So yeah, like, what, why was it a late, a late sign-in, basically? So I was in, I was at Plymouth. Uh, the first year went brilliantly um, yeah. for me personally, and the, for the team it went pretty well. Um, I, you know, I, I was top try scorer in my first year and got yeah. Young Player of the Year in the end. And um, then the second year we were, we were just like a little bit worse. We had a budget cut. We had mm-hmm. a couple of guys leave, but the guys that came in were like, you know, um, bit of a mixed bag. And we weren't as good, and we just finished just out. We missed the playoffs, and we got in the. They had a relegation playoff that year that was a bit bizarre, yeah. but similarly, we kind of got secure with a few games left, and it just it felt like it was kind of petering out, and our budget was going to get cut again. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I had a couple of like move. You know, I was talking to different teams. So I thought I had a move lined up, so I was like, right, well, you know, I'm at. I'm out, I'm out of here kind of thing and it never <laughs> never materialized so I was just left like oh what am I going to do and there's a lot of like ships in the night sort of things with different clubs and I was like oh, I didn't really know what to do and it's a really difficult time yeah. in the end I ended up going to Sydney initially just for a few months just to play club rugby but in the end yeah. I really enjoyed it so I just I basically I stayed there for almost a year in the end and Pirates phoned me while I was out there and said you know what are you up to and my, my visa was almost up so I was speaking to the Aussies and I was like, look, guys, I've got this offer, but you know, if yeah. I if you can kind of cobble me together something here that means I don't have to go and work on a farm for six months, then you know, like, you know, kind of be interested, I'm in. And uh, but you know, they didn't do anything in the end. And he was like, Man, I'll get you a job. But never yeah, never happened. So I was like, Well, pirates it is, pal. See you later. <laughs> Lessons learned there, uh, get something on the table before yeah. you can... <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, let's have that contract on the table before I go, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> And yeah, exactly. Then was it as sort of similarly, I guess, a move out of necessity or how did the move to France come about? Was it sort of as 
as unplanned perhaps as the move to Pirates? Or was that something that was a little bit further thought out then? Uh, I'd say it was like less thought out than the move to Pirates. So, because um, at least with the move to Pirates, I had like weeks considering it. <laughs> so, yeah, were you in New Zealand this time, mate? <laughs> <laughs> I was, um, what was I doing? Yeah, I was like, I finished up at Pirates and I was thinking like, right, you know, I could have gone back there on similar terms, but I was thinking, well, I don't know. I was in my mid twenties. I was like, look, you, you know, you've had a, you've had a little run at this, and as probably a lot of championship rugby professionals can appreciate, it's not necessarily the foundation for a sustainable long term career. And I, I had a degree, and I thought, oh, do I go and do something else? Do I go and do a Roslyn Park and you know get a job and play part time, or do I go abroad and do the kind of Hong Kong thing? Um, you know, go there and do a similar sort of arrangement. And I was sort of um, that's when I stayed with you, Gully, and we ha- had a couple of weeks training at Bedford. And then, um, yeah, and then I got a phone call from Richard Hill, who'd recently left Worcester, and he was taking over at Rouen. And it had been a long-held ambition of mine to play in France, so I was always keen to go. I never imagined it would be Federal de, the sort of uh, fourth division. But I was like, you know, once I kind of had everything and I was talking to London Welsh, but they wouldn't commit to a firm offer. They wanted me to go and train. And I was thinking, right, well, you know, um, you wanted to go to France, and here's, an, here's a sort of way there. And he sold it to us as a sort of year in this division with Ruan. And then there was a few other foreign or English guys signing at the same time. And he was like, well, we'll have a good year. And then we'll all like bugger off to the south somewhere, somewhere warmer. And we're like, sweet. Sounds good. <laughs> so yeah, went, signed that, went there, um, packed two little bags and got my easy jet from Bristol. And uh, yeah, and I stayed there for four years in the end. So it was pretty good. Yeah. But an unbelievable story in what Hilly's done over there, isn't it? Right. <laughs> it? It is crazy. I mean, like when we when we turned up, no one even knew there was a rugby team. Like even local people didn't know there was a rugby team there. And um, yeah, now they're in Prodi Uh Yeah, I, the whole thing is kind of um, it's kind of crazy. But by the same token, there's there's a lot of teams in France who have done that. So if you actually look at Prodi Deux, a lot of those teams are teams we used to play against in the lower in the lower division. So Van are now like pretty high up the league. They've got Nick Benton in there now and Darren Barry and I think Henry Trinders just gone there as well. Um, so Van were kind of in our pool and we um you know they were kind of a little bit ahead of us on that journey. Never they were another team who were like um probably a few years ahead of us. And the other one's Ongolem, uh Sawyer Ongolem and uh, I think Robin Copeland, who's a bit of a championship warrior, he's he's at Sawyer Ongolem now. Um so yeah, it's all those teams, they were all they were all kind of doing the same thing. And you could see, even though Ruan it is a kind of amazing story, you could see that it's genuine possibility in France. If you do get a team like that, you can, you know, make your way up there and a few teams are testament to that now it's quite interesting because i mean if you if you look at the the current championship i think there's a, a lot of teams that you could compare similar journeys you know you look at ealing we're not talking that long ago that they were playing in sort of national three london and southeast jersey similarly flown through the leagues as as of Amptel. and i mean if we go back a little bit longer doncaster did something very similar coming from i think it was yorkshire division two the, the eighth or ninth flight to being in the second tier um, but obviously, then a lot of these teams that that last step eludes them because of the way the sort of the structure is. Um, you've kind of referenced it there, and I know we've had Pete Lydon on the show, who's at Rwanda now, and obviously playing in, in in front of the, maybe not the moment, but the big stadiums in what looks a fiercely competitive Pro D. Now that you've kind of stepped back and you're no longer sort of in in the setup, what what do you make having played in, in both? And do you think that um, what do you think fuels the sort of that ability to ascend all the way through the French pyramid that that we don't quite have here in the Championship and in the English uh, pyramid? Yeah, that, I think that's quite tough. <laughs> it's quite a tough question. Like 
Uh, never going to be an easy ride coming on the show. Come on, you know. Yeah, I, like, I think Mike like, gets there in the end, mate, as well. <laughs> Gully might disagree, but um, before I felt like it was, it was there was a lot less mobility between the Premiership and the Championship because the Premiership everyone had much bigger squads. And I remember being a young, you know, academy kid at Bath, and they they went they'd go out and sign like a kind of Kiwi uh, late twenties guy to be the third or fourth scrum half, and you know he'd probably be on a decent salary. But like now, that just wouldn't happen. They'd just get an academy kid or they'd go to the championship and find, you know, someone 24, 25 at one of those teams who was, you know, looks who look quite handy and bring them up to the premiership. And I think there's more mobility now for, uh, as a player between the two things. Um, I'd say like with Prodi Dur, the money's just much better. There's no, there's no contest. So you know, when we, and even in Federal Un, which is the third division, so that'd be like National One, you know, never had a Samoa World Cup fullback on 15, 20K a month with a house and a car. So it's just, it's just no contest, you know, and then Pro D2, I mean, their teams have gone Dida up to top 14, like Lyon, they're, they're up at the top. La Rochelle, obviously in the um, European Cup final, they, they got promoted from Pro D2 the first year I was in France. And you know, some of, the, some of the international players that will sign for a Pro D2 team. I mean, um, Carl Ferns did it. He signed for Lyon in Pro D2. Um, yeah, I mean, like people will go down to Pro D2. The, the money's better. The level, it's it, it probably is better just because of the talent. But yeah, the the sort of um, professionalism, the setups is uh, like to be questioned. But some of the facilities are incredible. You know, like Zach Henry would be a good guy. Like he was at Never and they had an amazing kind of training setup. But places like Rouen, you know, they'd like to get that in place, I think. But they, you know, there are some of those French teams just with outrageous setups that you just can't compete with when you're down the Mene in the gym with the hole in the floor and stuff like that. I think like the, the the ability for championship players to go up is still there. I think where 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 it's where it's changed massively sort of over the past sort of five ten years is the is the guy coming back down. So so you know you're talking from you've gone from an average wage six seven years ago to forty k in the prem to now eighty to a hundred grand. Um, now you you know you're looking at earning between max twenty and thirty k in the in the champ now. So it's really difficult to attract players into a, into a squad where the finances of all the clubs are struggling. So you, you don't get that quality of player coming back into the league. You have to go and find it elsewhere, which obviously then affects like the long-term project of the league. So we've spoken a fair bit about how, how the funding options could work in the league, and it's very complex, obviously. But um, that that seems to be the biggest shift within the league, I think, um, is is those fringe Prem boys coming back down. I, I was chatting to Chris Morgan um, recently at Pirates, and he's mentioned sort of a couple of players that have been offered, and sort of the, the level of money they're on with not a great deal of rugby in the bank. You can't get near it at the Pirates, but it's that's just the nature of it at the moment. So it's just you just got to try and think outside the box a little bit to attract these type of players um, to, to hopefully then, like I said, because you can go up. It's difficult to get the guys coming back, mm, and then yeah. Darren Barry's just moved to France, hasn't he? Because of that yeah, reason. Yeah. So you lose someone out of the league that could potentially be in it has now gone elsewhere. That's actually interesting because um, when I, when I signed for Plymouth, you know, I was a, I was what like twenty two, and I yeah. did feel like a young player in the league. You know, like everyone yeah. was quite experienced, and even the teams that weren't necessarily like you know Exeter or Bristol, 
yeah, every single team had some like what you call, you know, a senior professional. When you look at it now and having gone and watched, you know, former teammates or mates of mine kind of who, who might still be involved. Like, yeah, the league just skews a lot younger, doesn't it? In general. Yeah. Um, whereas before, yeah, you did get a sense of like, well, there is sort of every age of rugby professional kind of represented here. And now it does seem like a, a younger league, which, you know, um, in general, oh, I'm not against that. I think that's, I think, you know, if if it was expressly like for develop for developing players, then great. But at the minute it seems like yeah, the sort of aim of the whole thing is is not clear. So it's like well, it seems like you're kind of wasting assets in every direction. If you if you understand what I mean, exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah. The examples of players moving up from the championship to the premiership you know it's constant we've just announced today bomber his one of our props will sign for wasps next year but obviously the thing that doesn't happen is really the clubs moving from the championship to the premiership that's that's perhaps the difference you're listening to the championship clubs podcast it's competition time thanks to principal promotions and kappa we're giving away two tickets to the european challenge cup final between leicester tigers and montpellier at Twickenham Stadium on May the 21st. To find out more and to enter, head to at Pod on Twitter and Instagram. So Ben, obviously following your time at Rouen, um, you're a couple of years into retirement and uh, you put pen to paper on fringes, uh, life on the edge of professional rugby. And uh, first-hand account of what it's like to be as a journeyman professional athlete. And obviously the experiences in the championship have contribute a lot to the experiences that you put down on the page there just talk us through the process of getting to write uh, fringes I, I i've always been like my two things when i was growing up they're always like books and sport and rugby being my favorite sport and the sport that i sort of uh yeah i don't know committed the most effort and time to but uh i was always reading and people always kind of it's funny since i've written it how many people have commented on like yeah you're always reading on the bus so at least you've done something with that <laughs> you know like um <laughs> But I, I was kind of experimenting along those lines and kind of professionally and also just in my own time, I did like a short fiction writing course, which again, you could say proved useful for this, for some of the stories I made up. But the... Um, <laughs> but the uh, Never let the yeah. truth get in the way, mate. Never let the truth get in the way. <laughs> it was more what I had to leave out, really, that people would think was unbelievable. But yeah, the... Um, yeah, it was. Uh, I, I was doing it, and I kind of got serious about about it. And I, I approached an agent, like a book agent, and he was looking for a pu- for publishing options. And he was like, "Oh, you know, mate, like it's pretty good. Like I think it could definitely get better, but n- no one's going to publish this because." You know, with rugby books, they're only kind of for big name players. Like nobody really wants to commission like someone no one's ever heard of. And you see that not just in rugby, but actually in other books as well. So people quite often give an influencer in something, a book contract, not because they're a good writer, but because they've got an Instagram account with a lot of people on it. And um, and yeah, that, that, that wasn't a bad thing because for me, I really liked having kind of complete responsibility and, and control over what I was doing as well. So and I could do it quite quickly. So I did it. And one of the kind of uh, one of the reasons as well was exactly what we're doing now. It was like, well, here's an underrepresented slice, uh, sorry, slice, slice of the athlete experience that nobody hears about. And so although it's about me and my time as a rugby player, like it's also kind of because those were who all my friends were, you know, like. My friends were people who would have year-to-year deals and get treated, um, you know, in bizarre ways or have to just up and leave places. So I was like, well, this is a way of life that nobody, like no casual fan really like knows about. But actually, there are some really good players in these divisions, you know, in the championship and 
yeah, and in some of the, you know, Pro and, and beyond in France as well, you know, there are loads of good players who, who nobody like hears about. And I just, I kind of quite enjoyed, um, yeah, letting everyone know a little bit about it because some of the sort of things around it are quite ridiculous. So, so many different stories that I bet it was great fun writing it, wasn't it? So you've obviously left a few out. Is there any that you've left out that you could share with us? <laughs> well, yeah, um, I don't know, maybe some of the looser ones, but the uh, it was funny because I, I did about 30,000 words. The whole thing's about 110,000 and I'd, I'd done about 30,000 and I, I was like, right, I'm in now. I'm not, um, you know, it, it had been a bit of an experiment. Like, shall I do it? Shall I not? And I was like, no, I'm committed. So I texted our team WhatsApp group and I was like, boys, I'm doing this. What, like, might have I, might have I forgotten or might, you know, should I not leave out kind of thing? And just had this amazing night sat on the sofa, just crying, laughing as like all these stories are coming in um yeah it's it's uh i mean everyone's everyone will have the many kind of uh and that's and that could potentially be another project you know i think like we've explored like doing another project with um canvassing other people so if you, if you think you've got a great story you know feel free to uh, give me a shout <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah I, I kind of limited the book to the book takes place like over the course of the four years i was in france and like it does talk a little bit about um it kind of ducks off when there's a sort of big to- bigger topic I'll duck off and talk about it but um there's definitely some of the I don't know some of the sort of like championship nights out and stuff like that which like I left out but I, in the end I had so many yeah it's quite a long book so I was like I had so much there and I was just like well it's it's difficult for me to include everything so I just had to yeah make some tough decisions yeah. oh, it's um I um I think it's amazing that you've done it because I, I had a go at, I've sat down a few times to, to write one and I ended up like challenging myself to write a blog for every day for a year. And not only was it was it good fun and the stories you can sort of share, if you just go for it, it's, it's good. It's quite cathartic as well. And it's good, it's good just to get it off your chest. But there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of stories out there that people wouldn't believe, but it's great that you've, you've had the balls to go and do it. And it's been well received as well because like you said, it's you've done it all off your own back, mate, and that's like that's 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 amazing what you've done. Number one bestseller, and that must have been a bit of a, of a shock of like how well it was supported. It shows us. I think we've found with this that there is there is an audience out there for these sort of stories, and you know it's, it's being able to touch it and feel it, and you know it's relatable. It's not all about high performance. It's about what what these guys are actually going through is quite real, and the average bloke on the street can relate to a lot of the stuff that goes on. Yeah, it's definitely that. And I think like I had to talk, if I was going to be kind of upfront about stuff and other people, I had to be upfront about myself. And that was a little bit uh, like concerning at times. But yeah, it's everyone wants honesty when you do stuff. So it's like, you know, you guys, you're you're representing like this slice of life and you're getting guys on to speak honestly about it. And um and I think with sport, with athlete books, like quite often, maybe the person's too high profile to be completely upfront about, you know, maybe what happened or or how they felt about it, and they or, or they have to leave things out. And some of them just feel a bit inherently not dishonest. That's unfair, but you're like, oh, they're not giving you like enough. And I thought I had a good opportunity to differentiate in terms of um, how I spoke about these things and also just because it wasn't that top level of the game. And I could say to everybody like, oh, this is different to all these other books just by virtue of like, yeah, who I was and the level I was talking about. Could you mention there, obviously, how, how well the book was received. Were you, were you surprised uh, by that? Obviously, the Amazon bestseller and sort of toppling other books written by, as you alluded to there, sort of a bigger, perhaps better known uh, celebrity sports stars as well at a similar time. Or well, did you know, mate? Did you know it was that? <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I always knew I was destined for greatness somehow. <laughs> no, um, yeah, I was I was really surprised because like for me, when I was doing it, I, I was just um, like success for me was just finishing it and actually publishing it. And I sat on it for a while. So I was, you know, I was tinkering with it and there was various things to do with, like the formatting and stuff like that, which gave me kind of excuses to to sort of delay. And um, I ended up getting like rushing it a little bit to get it out in time for Christmas. And that must have been, yeah, 2019. And it did okay for the first couple of months. And then I was just pestering people to look at it. And once we got, um, I think lockdown was actually a big help. Because once we got locked down and sports stopped, it was a bit like, oh, what have we got to talk about? Um, you know, a few people looked into the book and quite enjoyed it. And it took off from there. But yeah, I never had any kind of, um, never had any expectations for it to do as well as it did. Or I, I, I never even set myself any, you know, I, I just thought, I was happy with having done it and put it out there and that was that and yeah it's been it's been really it's been really great and everyone's been um, you know like it's, it's really fun to hear from people who have read it and yeah like got some great emails from people who have got their own like rugby stories and stuff it's been good so season two is not far away then is it <laughs> yeah i'd love i'd love to do like um you know i don't think i've got enough like personal material to justify another one but uh <laughs> But yeah, I'd love it. like I'm thinking about ways I could maybe kind of uh, tell like other people's stories. Um, I'm working on a new book now, which is the uh, the Olympic four by one hundred relay team that won gold in Athens. So we're we're working on their story, and it'll be out oh. like pretty shortly. Um, but in terms of you know rugby or you know that sort of that level of sport, I'd love to do yeah another project that maybe kind of brought different people together. So yeah, yeah. if you've got if you've got something you think's good, then. Tell me about it. <laughs> it's Have a like, after this, mate. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. It's funny because some of those, yeah, some of those like crazy old like the championship was real wild west like for a bit, wasn't it? When there's a, um, a bit more money sloshing around and no one was quite sure like to spend where to direct it. Yeah. <laughs> we just throw more cash at it, and then it was, it was great. Yeah. <laughs> so, so now, yeah, ben, obviously, fun- sorry. sorry, no, no, you carry on. As you say, obviously now, Ben. Uh, the book is done. You say you are looking at sort of a few other projects, but um, you are sort of writing and content creating in the space now. Is how is that keeping you busy at the moment? Yeah, uh, again, I've been quite lucky. I've been busy like the the past year or so, when a lot of people haven't been. So I feel very fortunate there. And like I've got a role with um, with an organisation, Laps, which is Life After Professional Sport, helps athletes kind of make that transition into work. And I, yeah, I lead content for them. I, uh, yeah, I am the head of content. Um, so that's been that's been really good. And during lockdown, we did this like webinar series of sort of various different topics with guests to help athletes do different things like GCV, optimize social media profiles, start a business, you know, kind of get ready for employment. Um, so yeah, I do that. I kind of work freelance as well. And, and yeah, I've had this other book project I've been working on for the past. Yeah. I don't know. That's probably since November, maybe. So I've been like working on that and, um, and then doing, yeah, just trying to build out sort of and prep for other future writing projects as well. So I, I, I keep, yeah, I've been keeping busy. It's been good. Um, I'd love to do more like of these kind of book style projects. It's just like since I've left rugby and I think, I don't know, Gully, you probably have, yeah, your own experiences as well, but you, you're ne- like, I wasn't quite sure. I never had like a, a thing that I definitely wanted to do. So I had this very like, you know, experimental year really where I was just 
trying loads and loads of different things and seeing the small things I liked about each thing and just trying to kind of alight on something that grabbed me. But I, I really enjoy like the writing process, I suppose. So yeah, it's been great. It's just maybe a little bit more solitary than being a rugby player, but yeah. that's been what's nice about this most recent project is that because it's collaborative, like we're in, we're almost in the little team and it's obviously not the same, and but it's still pretty, um, it's, it's pretty fun and it's not, it alleviates some of the like lonely hours typing, I suppose. Do, do your experiences, I mean, we had uh, Phil Nielsen on the show last week who uh, talked about his life after rugby. He's out in, in Gibraltar now working with uh, Gibraltar rugby. And he kind of said that his, his his end of rugby career was quite abrupt and that he maybe didn't have a plan for it. And it sounds a little bit like you were sort of, there wasn't a firm plan in place. Does that reflect a lot of what the, the guys that you work with now at uh, at laps is it a similar tale with the the clients that you speak to yeah i think because it's a it's a big topic for any athlete right and like you say you don't know maybe your career will end you know you just won't get a contract or you get injured or something or or maybe like i kind of you know i came to the end of a contract and i half-heartedly looked at some other ones but i and like again i could have maybe done the hong kong thing and i looked into that but i had kind of personal ties back over here that i you know i couldn't really like didn't feel like i could leave behind um so yeah it was it was a bit out of the blue but yeah we'd recommend that you make it a bit less out of the blue than that but i had you know i kind of had i was qualified i had some qualifications had some savings you know had my you know family to support me as well so it's um it's not been you know it, it can be quite precarious and i think it's it's just a really emotive topic as well. And the thing with the lap stuff is that an athlete could be 18, they could be released by an academy and never get a deal. Or they, and you know, maybe they'll have given up their kind of teenage years, their education a little bit. Or you could be like 35, you know, and be at the end of quite a long career. So everyone's super different. And that's, that's the other thing is like everyone's circumstances are different and everyone's backgrounds and stuff. So there's not really like a one size fits all, but it's definitely like get ahead of it. Whatever that means for you is like, and it's it's interesting how many people find that actually helps them play you know like some people who are they've got something else to do maybe they've got a little side business or maybe they're studying for something some people find that actually really helps uh when they turn up to training because they actually really enjoy the contrast whereas obviously if it's the only thing you're doing you set so much store by the by each training session by each game you can get it can get quite sort of overwhelming and stressful whereas if you have that other outlet for yourself then yeah not only is that a release from the sport but the sport is a release from whatever else you're doing so actually some guys find that it's it's really helpful so if if like obviously this just goes beyond rugby doesn't it sort of lapses sort of mm. if if we wanted if someone was listening and they, they they feel like they need to they're thinking about the transition or they're in it they're in a period now where they're injured and they're, they're quite low sort of you know, how, how do they get in contact with you, Ben? And like, what's sort of the process for sort of a, a guy looking to do that or, or, or lady? Yeah, yeah, it's free. So lap, right. any athlete, if you're if you're a pro, pro semi pro athlete, it's it's completely free. Um, it's uh, www.laps.careers. You can reach out to me personally if you want. Um, I'm sure we'll have like, those details at the end, but. There's there's loads of guys kind of affiliated with the laps. Quite a lot of the employees are, are current or former athletes themselves. It was set up by a footballer who, uh, Robbie Simpson, who who played like um, I don't did he have a Premiership contract? But anyway, he played in like pretty much every tier of English football. And right. uh, so it's it's kind of it's a good organisation and. Yeah, the advice is free. There's there's job opportunities. There's uh, kind of different things for you. Everyone can make of it what they will. And even if you don't, even if you look at it and decide it's not for you, you know it's no harm done because you're not you're not going to pay anyone. Like one of the things is it'll never charge an athlete for for help. So yeah. yeah. 
I think what you've talked about brings us on to a, a sort of wider conversation and something that, that Gully and I were quite keen uh, to touch on. But I think we don't mind admitting we're not entirely sure the best way to go about it, but a conversation around uh, mental health in rugby and obviously specific to our space championship rugby. It, it is Mental Health Awareness Week this week. I know that, uh, Ben, you've blogged, I think, referencing some quotes from uh, Kieran Mile, formerly of uh, Watson Sale, with his experiences about... Um, how we need to be maybe better with the language that we use around mental health and mental illness and uh, so on and so forth. In terms of a professional rugby outside the very top flight, which is where your book was positioned, what do you think there needs to be to be done better around the subject? So what comments do you have around it? And that's quite an expansive question. Yeah, again, it's quite difficult. Like that, uh, my championship experiences in particular, you know, there may be one physio, one or two physios for a whole squad of players and and obviously that's your physical health, but the physical health is the only thing that most teams look after. And if, they, if they've they only got the kind of finances and, and time and capacity for one person to look after 30 pros, physical health, you know, they're not going to provide any any mental health support or anything like that. So um, that's obviously poor um, and things like, I, I, yeah, things need to be done. And even at the top level, people find that those those services might be kind of under provisioned. But, you know, that's the reality. And it means that as a as a player and as a group of players, everyone needs to get better, both with their own sort of systems and by helping their mates, uh, because, it's a bit. It's, it's 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 hard to say, but you know your team or whoever. It's they're not they're not doing it. So if you don't do it and help each other out, like no one's going to do it for you, and you're going to be the one that suffers. It's not going to be somebody else. And yeah, and I think it is that. I think rugby's definitely improved, and you can see that from who speaks out about it. And you know, some people decline going on international rugby tours because they they say you know they've got other things going on, which is amazing. Like no one would have ever done that, you know, not that long ago, or they'd have been regarded extremely suspiciously if they did. But um, they still but yeah, are now definitely... to a certain degree, mate. They still yeah yeah yeah. yeah. No, they like, that's it's... what I'm saying. I was like, they they definitely are still regarded like that, and there is still an element of like. Um, you know, like you're supposed to be a tough bloke, aren't you? So, yeah, I think um, a lot of, I think we've got the awareness around it all is, is very, is a, is a lot better. And I think, I think sort of where we need to get to a stage is sort of being able to, and often, often people say like the door's always open uh, and that's a great expression, but I think, you know, it's, you've also got to go and find people and reach out to people as well. So it's, it's re your responsibility to look after your fellow, fellow person or your, your teammate or, you know, if you're in a good spot and, you know, it's, it's the small conversations, reaching out to people is it, it's, it's massive. And it's you don't often realise um, that the, the tiniest little conversations can just just flip your mood positively. I, I Someone, you know, I've had like, so many injuries over the years and, and went through a lot of battles sort of off field. And I think someone said to me, like, oh, mate, you're, you're pretty resilient, and break. And it was like. No one's ever said that to me before, <laughs> and it like it pumped my tires a bit, and I felt good. I was like, "Yeah, oh, actually, like, all of that was worth it." <laughs> but it's just those small yeah. little conversations that you can have with people can mean so much to the person on, that's receiving them. And I think you have as many as those, and as often as you can. I think it's little and often is it's a great approach to it. No, I agree. I think, and that that like little text, even you know, like, "Oh, how yeah. are you?" It's like, "Oh, no one's yeah. asked." You know, <laughs> I'm like. Yeah. Um, 
And I think, like, interesting what you said, things like injury and, and particularly, you know, lower division rugby where you, you do live year to year quite often. And um, yeah. and you are actually a lot more resilient than you probably think you are just because your context is different. Like, you know, you're around other players and stuff and injury is really tough, you know. And, like, I, I was very fortunate. I never had, like, a very long-term injury. I only ever had kind of um, decent muscle tears. So, like, a couple of months here, a couple of months there, but never did anything more severe than that. And even two months I found like quite tough because you did feel like, oh, I'm on my own. I'm not. And particularly in France where the away trips could be 12 hours travel, you know, everyone would go for two, three days and it'd be you and whoever else was like left back there for the weekend. You just think, oh, right. Like, you know, it is just me sat here and what else is there to do apart from go on the piss? But yeah, it's like, it's like, you need to kind of, like you say, it's like um, until teams, governing bodies, whoever it is, is until they do a better job like you know the reality is it's players and it's and it's partly yeah the language that uh that we use around it but it's it's also um and like when i left plymouth i you know i found myself for the first time in my life with nothing to do Mm -hmm. and it wasn't like when i left cornish pirates where i didn't have anything to do but i didn't know what i wanted to do when I left Plymouth, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. It's just no one would let me do it. So I was like, right, well, I found it incredibly frustrating. But I didn't have the personal tools and um, frameworks and language to really explain how I was feeling to anyone. So I just sort of got on with it. And people, and I, and you know, looking back on it, I can tell people found it tough to speak to me um, because I never gave them a way in to, to you know, I never gave them a, a way to approach me with it. I, I, you know, I must have been a very kind of closed off. Um, that's what I presented. But in fact, I'd have loved if someone had said something like that to me. You know, like like you said it would have been a massive help to me but uh i didn't give anyone a way to do that so it's like it's not all on you but if you kind of learn those those ways of kind of letting people broach the topic with you like you're there like if people are more able to help you if and when you have a problem yeah that makes sense and that's this that skill is very very difficult isn't it to Mm. learn and it's a little bit that comes with with age and experience but if we can get to a stage where you know your your more experienced players or coaches or whoever it is to support network within within the group within a championship team say because the funding is not there to support it it's it's Mm. sort of on ourselves as as individuals to 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 learn those skills and and share experiences of that within within the group format and i think that can can definitely help and i think like injury like the, the two the two biggest flags sort of i think within within rugby and within sort of affecting your your mood and your, your mental health is around selection um injury and contracts those three things and, mm. like, and, and that's that can really um affect affect someone positively or negatively and like, like for me from my experience contracts were always uh, sort of went okay for me until towards the end but i sort of prepared for that but the injury side of it is is such a such a lonely slog shit place and like you say like, what, what is it to do i'll go on the piss because that's that's all there is to do and and, and they're the flags aren't they they're, they're the signs it's like fuck right we need to look after this boy and if someone you know that's where we i think we could kind of do we get into in general is i don't know if it's the same at the moment like within the sport if that's a young person's mentality but it definitely was with that with our sort of age group I, th- I think with um the medical staff as well like we said because there tends to be one physio two physios and I remember in France, in the, in the last year I was in France, and it wasn't when I was injured, but the physio said to me, well, I was the vice captain of the team. So, uh, but me and him were quite, we, we used to get on pretty well. And he said, oh, I'm really worried about the team. And I was like, what do you mean? 
And you just realize that the physios are the ones who take the temperature of the team because they're the ones who are alone with everyone at their kind of vulnerable low points. And actually, if they have, you know, one or two people, maybe the long-term injured people are a bit like, oh, you know, um, at least they get that interaction with the physio, but that's understandable. But the physio is actually an amazing kind of um, temperature taker for the health of the whole squad, because if everyone who's fit and available and playing is not having a good time, you know, the physio is the one who notices, maybe not the coach. And and I know, like, it's a long time since I played championship rugby, but it wasn't a... Um, you know, like, because I think the the coaches were guys that came up in a different era. It was pretty harsh, like, you know, and you'd get subjected like your mate did to some sort of pretty yeah. tough, like, lines of questioning or you'd kind of get tested in ways that, and with some guys, you know, they, they couldn't, they, they couldn't handle it. You know, the day-to-day -day digs and stuff, it's not for everyone. And it is a, uh, I, I don't know if that's different with the younger generation of coaches, but I, I'm not that convinced it is. I think there's probably some environments where it is and others because you only learn from what's come before you. So if what you've experienced is something, you'll probably do the same thing. Yeah, it's fascinating, really, isn't it? We could, go, we could keep going on this for hours. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I sat there with several questions that I thought of interjecting there, but I thought that was really powerful from both of you, from two people that have obviously been involved in the sphere for, for many, many years. Uh, ben, you've been a great guest. Before we go, where can people buy the book if they'd like to read it? Uh, grab it on Amazon. Yeah, Fringes, Life on the Edge of Professional Rugby. Um, yeah, uh, grab it on Amazon. I've looked me up on Twitter. I'm BCE Mercer. Um, yeah, and just get in touch. If you, and like I say, if you've got, got a story you think the world might want to hear, like let me know. Um, I'm working on a few different ideas at the minute, but nothing set in stone. So yeah, I'd love to hear from anyone that's got some perspective on this sort of stuff. Cheers, Ben. Awesome. Cheers, guys. That was the Championship Club podcast with Michael Casey and Ben Gulliver. Check us out on social media at Champ Clubs Pod on Instagram and Twitter and subscribe and like our YouTube channel.